You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Twitter is the strongest propaganda tool in the history of the planet. Twitter created the Black Lives Matter movement and the myth that black men face more violent danger from law enforcement than street gangs. Twitter is primarily responsible for the riots, anarchy, and violence in reaction to the death of St. George Floyd. Twitter convinced LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, Jussie Smollett, Bubba Wallace, and everyone in Hollywood to believe that there was a pandemic of police officers shooting unarmed black men. I hope that Elon Musk's Twitter files exposes Twitter as a propaganda machine for the Alphabet Mafia. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. The weekend is here, baby. Oh, we made it through another week. I'm so excited. Uh, I get to go visit my brother and family uh, in Cincinnati this weekend. My brother's retiring from work. They're throwing a big retirement party. I can't wait to be there. And the party like is 1999. I can't wait to do that. But before I do any of that, I'm going to give you a great show uh, today. We're going to give you a great show today. Steve Kim, Shamika Michelle will be here. I will be here with a fire starter that we'll unleash at the end of today's show. Uh, we're going to begin today's show talking sports with Steve Kim. Then we'll talk a little potpourri of topics with uh, Shamika Michelle. And then I'll get to my fire starter about the Twitter files. Fantastic show planned for you today. Almost as good. This show will almost be as good as the deal the Good Ranchers is offering right now. Short on gift ideas for people? <laughs> well, not everyone wants the new iPhone 27, 28. What number, what number are we on? Seriously. In fact, a hard economic year for most has caused essential gifts to be more needed and wanted than ever. Essential gifts. Unfortunately, or fortunately, you can easily give the most essential gift of all this year. Delicious meat, great food, subsistence. Good Ranchers has gift boxes and gift cards so that you can give America's best meat and seafood this Christmas. With discounts on orders of five boxes or more, you can save on gifts for the whole family or your business. When you get someone's uh, a box of Good Ranchers, you're giving them more than the best meat they've ever had. You're giving a true steakhouse experience. With 100% American, USDA, prime and upper choice cuts of beef, chicken and seafood, you're sure to beat out the new socks and re-gifted candles for the best gift of the year. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com and use the code FEARLESS at checkout for $35 off your delicious gift of meat. If you know someone that likes meat, then you know someone who will love Good Ranchers. Your gift goes further with them because they take the premium price out of the premium meats. Go to GoodRanchers.com and find the perfect box for you 
or someone you love in their curated selection of hand-trimmed meat and seafood. Give the best meat in America and support local U.S. farms and get $35 off your essential gift with my code FEARLESS today. Good Ranchers, American Meat Delivered. You guys know I love Good Ranchers and it's a great gift. You know people are gonna actually use it. Do the right thing, be a good soldier, support Good Ranchers. Let's roll out to uh, Los Angeles and bring in our main man on this show, Korean Cosell, Steve Kim. Uh, Steve, we'll start here. Baker Mayfield shows up in a Rams uniform two days ago, or I, I don't know how long ago, and then plays on Thursday night and throws a game-winning touchdown, leads the Rams back against the Raiders from down 16-3, to just like Tom Brady, and then they win 17 to 16. Uh, is this a one-off, or do you see, or is there signs of life and hope for Baker Mayfield? Well, look, I, I give him credit. He did the Mariah Carey. When a hero comes along with the strength to carry on, yeah, a hero lied in him. But let me just get this right out of the way. Jerry Tillery got the save while Baker Mayfield got the win. We, we, I, th that play bothers me. Uh, if I'm the Raiders, if I'm Coach uh, whatever that McDaniel, that, that fancy guy, whatever his name is, right, um, the former coordinator, I, I would I would not even let Tillery in the locker room. That game was wrapped up. After the sack by Max Crosby, the game felt over. And Tillery, to me, should have been Kervin Richards. I don't know if you remember him. He was the backup running back. This was in 1992. This was a game that was already won by the Cowboys. And, but Kervin Richards fumbled twice at the end of a blowout. And right this last game of the year meant nothing but Jimmy Johnson, and this is the leader that he is, the great Jimmy S. Johnson, said, Kervin, you're not living up to our championship standards. You're out of here. And I don't know how much they value Jerry Tillery, but I'm just telling you, I, if I'm his teammates, I especially on defense, I'd be giving him the side eye. And you know us Asians, we could really give a side eye like no one's business. That was egregious what he did. Now, with that said, I will give Baker credit. He actually played a pretty good game based on the circumstances. And according to Coach JB, who knows people on that staff, he worked tirelessly to go out there and prepare and to play a good game. Look, his numbers were not spectacular, Jason. 22 for 35, 231 touchdown. But They're better than Derek Carr's. Yes, but you know what? You're absolutely right. Without Cooper Cup, only 71 yards rushing, and about 36 hours to prepare, yes, it was a hell of an effort. I think um, this is my view on Baker Mayfield. Is he good enough to be in the league? Yeah, he's probably one of the best 65 to 70 quarterbacks in the world, which means he'll have a roster spot for the next decade. The question is, will he be a starter or a career backup? Now, being a career backup can be very lucrative. Ask Chase Daniels, right? It's fine. I get the sense that Baker has much bigger ambitions and still thinks of himself as a frontline starter. So with Matthew Stafford basically being out the rest of the year, I don't know if the Rams have their quarterback of the future, but he is certainly the quarterback of their present. Well, I, I see Baker's ceiling at this point as yeah. Case Keenum. 
That's okay. about as high as he can go as Case Keenum okay. at this point. Will he be satisfied with that? I'm not sure. If he had the right attitude to be a backup, though, I don't understand why Carolina jettisoned him. And, and so that may be an indicate. May, I, 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 I don't. That may be an indication that Baker still sees himself as a starter, and you know, locking into the mindset of being a serviceable ba- backup is probably not where he's at right now mentally. The, the other thing I'll say, and and look, what Rich Gannon was able to accomplish after age 35 or after age about 34, 35 is something we've really never seen from NFL, just to be a journeyman, a backup, a guy, and then become a star again. But maybe if Baker can stay healthy and not, you know, he's a bit undersized and, you know, gets banged up and beat up pretty easily, maybe he can revitalize himself as a starter. But it doesn't seem like NFL teams give guys that opportunity anymore. They're always looking to the draft and, and some kid out of college rather than, uh, you know, can he be Geno Smith? Again, Geno Smith, I guess, would be another example of so far this year being a guy that's reemerged as a starter. But it seems like teams are always looking to the draft rather than looking at some veteran. I want to say this right now. Rich Gannon needs to throw us a shout-out. There, there is no show that has kept Gannon more relevant and has spoken as highly of him as us. Rich, if you're out there, give us a shout out, man. Here's the difference with Rich Gannon. Rich was a really good athlete. I, I actually think when he came out and it was first with the Vikings, there was talk of him moving to another position because he had a lot of speed. The issue with Baker Mayfield is this. The Lincoln Riley offensive system is so quarterback friendly. It turns even little midgets into Heisman Trophy winners. And if you want to win a Heisman, and you're a young high school blue chipper, go to Lincoln Riley, and and you're going to be in that discussion. Mayfield, for his size, unlike a young Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray, does not have that elite athleticism. And the thing that's been disappointing about him is that when he came out of Oklahoma, the scouts said, well, the thing is he's very accurate. He's a very accurate mid-range passer. He really hasn't been that guy. I mean, he sails a lot of balls over the heads of guys, and he's not what I'd call a precision passer, at least not on a consistent basis. Now, Jason, here's what I think happened in Carolina. That place is a dumpster fire. You already know that for the most part, they are tanking. And based on their record, they fired their coach. So, you know, no one's in a good mood inside that building. And if you're Carolina, they're probably thinking, okay, Bryce Young or the kid at Ohio State. So you already know as a quarterback, you're thinking, ah, this, this, this place here, Uh, I'm going to rent my apartment. I'm not even putting down a long-term lease. Now, once you get released, then it becomes, oh, God, I got to get any other job. So this is the reality for Baker. He's on his third team in less than two years. So now he's got to almost prove himself. And this is the goal for Baker. If you're not going to play great, because I think that's still a very tough situation, because the Rams offensive line from day one has not been good this year. Andrew, Andrew Whitworth has been very, very missed. Now they're banged up. And the Rams are just kind of going through the motions. This is something that he has to work on. Being a teammate that people really like, okay? Being a likable guy and reinventing your personality. Because one thing I've noticed about Baker during his time as a pro, and even before the process of getting drafted, 
at times he seems very petulant and prickly. And you're like, God, like he kind of, he kind of comes off as Stewie, that little baby from Family Guy. He's got the same size, football head. It kind of reminds him, like, you know what? That's not what I want out of my starting quarterback. So, again, play well enough that you can keep a roster spot, but be a likable guy, and you can work for the next 10 years and make millions of dollars. Let's move on to uh, Antonio Brown. He, he keeps finding ways uh, to keep his name in the news. Uh, he <laughs> tweeted out a picture of himself in bed, uh, relaxing, little, maybe a little <laughs> pillow talk, uh, with a white woman who looked a bit like Giselle Bungeon, hmm. or at least that's what, you know, she's face is kind of covered, her eyebrows look similar as Giselle. And so I'm wondering, and it turns out that this is some Instagram model uh, of some renown that he's been dating named Sydney Moreau uh, and not Giselle. But do you think uh, Antonio Brown tweeted out this picture hoping to fool people into thinking it was Giselle? I wouldn't put it past him, but yeah, Antonio Brown seems to have a certain type. He seems to have a, a bunch of snow bunnies on his roster. And uh, yeah, what a stunner. She's an Instagram model. Yeah, that's, that's a real upset there. I, I don't know. Is Antonio Brown that insidious and that deep? That for that night, he's looking through his black book. Remember those things? Okay. She kind of looks like Giselle. Yeah, I mean, do you think it's that deep? Or do you think he was just getting some? I don't know if Antonio Brown's that much into trolling Tom Brady, to be honest with you. You know? I, he's that much into attention. Yeah, no. And he had to know. I do. He had to know that people would jump to conclusion. You don't put her. You don't put the name out with the tweet or the Instagram post. He had to know it was going to draw speculation. Yeah, I guess. I mean, look, there's a lot of women uh, of that descent that kind of, sort of look like Giselle. Um, I don't know if he'd go that deep. I mean, there are reports that Tom has moved on. He may not even care. I mean, once you turn on. Oh, he turn, would care. Know, he <laughs> he would care. That's that's the mother of his kids. Yeah, that is true. <clears throat> if she were laid up with A.B., he would care. Yeah, that's true. Because I've seen the pictures of those who are reportedly entangled with Tom. And I'm like, Tom, you've, 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 that's it, man. You've, you've turned it in. You've, you've upgraded. And, you know, so I'm just saying. I don't. But you're oh, right. Yeah. The whole mother and the kids <laughs> thing. You're right. You know. You know, sometimes when the lease is up, you got to turn that car back in. A lot of miles. A lot of miles on the odometer, the, you know? Look, Justin, I'm going to be frustrated. The whole reason I wanted to even talk about this is so we could – I spent – because I did the research on this, and it took me to Sydney, Sydney Monroe's uh, Instagram page. And so hmm. I just wanted to put up some of her Instagram page. Oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, this, this is the fake Giselle. I just wanted to put up some of her Instagram pictures and let the audience uh, decide for themselves – uh, whether, you know, uh, she looks like Giselle or whether, you know, better than Giselle or, you know, some you comments here on. She's the faux <laughs> bunchin. You mean Fizzell. Yeah. Right. Faux bunchin. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, you know, hats off to A.B., uh, I guess. 
<laughs> All right, let me keep moving. I'm going to get in trouble, so let me keep moving. I'm going to get myself in trouble. It was interesting. I only looked for about, you know, 15 minutes maybe. Uh, <laughs> at her, but it was, in, it was journalistic work. I was trying yes. to figure out who this was. I was not uh, being creepy. So let's move on to uh, Deion Sanders. He was welcomed in Colorado last night at a basketball game. Uh, they seem to love him at Colorado, and it looks like Dion seems to love Colorado. Let, let's let, let's play a clip of Dion being welcomed at a CU basketball game last night. Well, during the timeout. They were waiting all night for this, the loudest ovation, not for a K.J. Simpson three, but Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, has entered the building. Mm. Mm. It doesn't look like Jackson State. talks about creating culture, creating an environment, getting enthusiasm, getting the fan base awakened when they take over a job. Watch you and I have sat with tons of coaches, and that's something they always talk about, but never have I seen all right, an atmosphere so, uh, like this. Steve, they seem to love... Mm. They seem to love Dion at Colorado. Dion seems really happy at Colorado. He's hired, I don't know if you know this, but uh, his offensive and defensive coordinators, I believe it's a Charles Kelly, Alabama's, mm -hmm. I think, co-associate -def de defensive coordinator, 60-year-old uh, white man, I believe. And then uh, Sean Lewis is uh, offensive coordinator. He was the head coach at Kent State, a 55-year-old yeah. uh, white coach. I'm not judging Dion, because you know I don't believe in a quota system and all the diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff. That's not my that's not my cup of tea. But I wonder, you know, we we do all this talk. Remember, Dion said he's doing this. He moved from Jackson State to Colorado to do all this for black coaches, remember? remember that was part of his deal. Yes. The, the black coaches aren't being replaced at the power five level, and I gotta do this for the black coaches. But when it comes time to pick his top assistants, hmm, <laughs> oh, doesn't seem to be able to identify any uh, black candidates. Into, am I making a molehill into a mountain, or is there something yeah, well, to glean from that? Boy, the honeymoon. You know, as Robin Roberts once said on NFL primetime, it's primetime in Colorado. By the way, Dion looks very happy enjoying that clean running water, not having to lock his car doors and roll up the windows. He seems very at ease looks, out there in Boulder. Looks very right? comfortable in all that snow, don't he? Don't he? Yes, looks very he does. comfortable in all that snow, snow yeah. right? Uh, this is interesting. Look, there's a reality to what Dion is doing with what he's getting paid, over $5 million now. And he's probably given a pretty good budget for his staff because that's part of the business now. His job is to win. It's not just to be a salesman. It's not just to be a figurehead. His strength is probably, I'm assuming, relationships with young kids, mentoring young men, and recruiting. So maybe in his own mind, he's thinking, you know what? I can mentor other coaches and bring them up as position coaches but I'm going to have to win, and I'm going to need some real strong X's and O's, guys. As I told you a couple days ago, Jason, Kent State played Georgia this year between the hedges, and offensively, I was impressed by what Kent State did. They actually moved the ball fairly well 
with the team that I'm thinking, how many of those guys even got a letter from an SEC or a Big Ten school? So, and then the other guys from Alabama, that's from the Saban tree. And so that's a pretty good tree. I, I give I give Dion credit. I'd like to know what the makeup of the other staff is. Because I think you get nine on-field coaches. So let's see what the other guys look like. But again, Dion realizes that the honeymoon can end quickly if you don't win. There's a lot of excitement. Everyone is very jacked up about it. But again, there is a football element to this. And I will give him credit. It may not look good optically, and certain people may bring it up. They may have an issue. But again, his job, when it's all said and done, Jason, he's got to win some football games. Listen, I totally agree and get that. I wish he would just say that that's his job and say that that's what his agenda is. Because here's what I believe about creating opportunities uh, for other black people or for people in general, but for black people. As a black man, what I, what I say is the most, the biggest thing I could do to help other black men is to be successful myself. And so if, if I have uh, success running Speak for Yourself and being on that show, that's gonna create other opportunities for other people. Marcellus Wiley, Emmanuel Acho, now Joy Taylor, Shady McCoy, whoever else they want to put in there. It's no different than when I was at the Kansas City Star as a columnist and, and created opportunity for a lot of people, not just in Kansas City, but around the country to get that look as a columnist. You just got to be successful. And so that is and should be Dion's number one priority. And he's got to surround himself with people he believes can help him be successful and not play the color game. But Dion is the one that has played the racial card uh, in, in this situation and, and, and kind of backed himself into a corner. Again, I don't want to be hypercritical of Dion because I actually like uh, what he's doing uh, to some degree, or I, not like is a strong word. I understand why he left Jackson State. I, I believe he was put in a tough position where he had no choice but to leave. So I'm not going to beat Dion up. Uh, finally, Steve, I want to ask you about one of your favorite topics, college football, Heisman Trophy run. Uh, someone has suggested, I think the guy's name is Aaron Murray or whatever, runs a influential YouTube or blog site or, or Former Georgia social media feed. Is that who, is that who did? Oh, yeah, I okay. believe so. Played well, for Mark Rick. They had some right. good teams. About a decade ago. Oh, I remember yeah. him as a quarterback. I didn't know that was who this was. But uh, he said that Heisman voters may hold it against Caleb Williams, the quarterback at USC, because of his painted fingernails that basically said F Utah. Uh, th- this was before the Pac-12 championship game or yeah. during the Pac-12 championship game. Painted his fingernails with the F Utah. Said that that could hurt him with Heisman Trophy uh, voters. You buying that? <clears throat> I'm really not. And for the record, I've said this two weeks ago after the UCLA game, one of the best UCLA SC games I've ever seen. That's the Heisman Trophy winner. And I thought he played well enough under tough circumstances last week against a jacked up, fired up Utah team that he's still my Heisman Trophy winner. Now, I have a question because uh, I'm, I'm so old school, I'm prehistoric. I have a problem with anybody of my any of my football players if I'm a coach painting their nails at all. So my question is this, Jason: 
Do you have a problem with Caleb Williams or any player painting their nails? Or is it just the messaging? Because to me, if I saw one of my players being the Asian Vince Lombardi I am, I'm like, hey, buddy, get some Baraxo, scrub that off. We don't do that here. That's just my view of it. Uh, Steve, I can't believe that you went there. I was not expecting that. I was expecting myself to go there. That's no. something that mm. I certainly believe. That's where I was going with my take. It's just like, oh, this dude, the quarter, what, what you trying to tell me with the painted fingernails? Yeah. What's going on here? Uh, and so I, 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 I don't like the painted finger. I don't like the F Utah messaging on the painted fingers. And, 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 you know, I was kind of glad they got beat by Utah after seeing that. And uh, I saw some pretty good memes where people painted his fingernails saying, I'm soft and things like that. Uh, but it'll be interesting at the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony, will he be going with the painted fingernail look at the ceremony? And I can't you know, wait to see what his, if Jason, his dad's there and what his dad thinks. Maybe his dad will paint his fingernails too. I, I just miss the good old days when college football teams would get off the plane in army fatigues, okay? I miss that football. <laughs> that's, that's old school football. That's old time football. Can we get back to that? Can we get, can we get back to teams walking out of steak fries? Did the Japanese sit down? Not None of this. Hey, guys, do you like my acrylics? Oh, God. But he's still my Heisman <laughs> Trophy winner. That's just, I got to tell you, I think he had a great year, but, you know, he's still my Heisman Trophy winner, believe it or not. Korean Cosell really going old school and get off my uh, lawn. Uh, I'm that guy I, I, now. I, I wasn't I expecting that. I am definitely that, that yeah. guy. Huh? Yes, I am. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. Now, keep in mind, Mike Tyson painted half of his face, so we've seen some crazy things from athletes, particularly in the boxing yeah. world. I don't know if uh, painting – well, I, I'm not big on the painting thing, you know, yeah. so. Thank you, Cosell. Have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy the football this weekend. Let me tell you guys about uh, our good friends at Preborn. Tragically, every minute, unborn babies' futures are sucked out of existence. But amid the darkness, there's a light that shines, and that's Preborn. Preborn introduces mothers considering abortion to their unborn babies through ultrasound. Once they hear that heartbeat and see the precious life, 80% of those women will choose life. Preborn pregnancy clinics are positioned and located in top abortion areas where most abortions still take place. But Preborn does not stop there. They love and support these mothers with maternity clothes, diapers, counseling, and so much more for up to two years. If you want to do good this year and help save the lives of the innocent, you want to be involved with Preborn. Preborn is completely dependent on you, the, the pro-life community, as they fight the giants. For just $28, you can rescue a baby's life or $140 sponsors five ultrasounds and now, through a match, your gift is doubled. 100% of your donation will go toward saving babies. Our goal is to save 50,000 Blaze babies. Will you join us? Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby, or donate securely at my favorite way to donate, preborn.com slash Jason. That's preborn.com slash Jason. Be a good, fearless soldier. This should be your first act of the Christmas season. Save a baby's life. Feel good about yourself. Do something to help save America. Save a baby's life. Preborn.com slash Jason. All right, you can send us feedback. Fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Shamocho 
Tamika Michelle. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back. Let's roll out to North Carolina <clears throat> and bring in the First Lady of the Fearless Army, Shamika Michelle. Shamok Show, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. You gotta help me out here. You, 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 they told, oh, look at that. You got the uh, Fearless background up. Is that, is that the first time you've had that up? Yes, this is my first day. Oh, it looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. The whole color scheme works very well with what you're wearing today. Did you plan that with the the brown top and all that, and the whole thing, you look amazing. No, I didn't. I needed to put on something that I could get in quickly. So, no, I didn't plan Got it. <laughs> Got you. Uh, well, you're going to have to help me out here. I, I let Shamika, Shamika told me some things she wanted to talk about. I'm like, great, let's talk about them. Shark Week, what, first, you got to help me understand what Shark Week is, and then I guess people are complaining that Shark Week is too white? Uh, there's too many white sharks? They, or should there be black sharks? What, what, is, what is Shark Week? Is some TV show that I'm not aware of? <laughs> well, what this person, I guess it's, I don't know, it's a celebration of when, when they talk about sharks. But this person has a love of sharks. But when they were sitting during the pandemic, they realized as they were watching episodes of Shark Week from years ago that it's predominantly white men that are interested in sharks. And when they show these shows, it's predominantly white men who are actually doing the commentating on it. And so this person was upset because they feel like that's racist. And it was a crazy article to me because I grew up in the era of Jaws, one, two, three, Jaws Revenge. I never once looked at Jaws and said, hmm, why aren't there more black people being killed by sharks? You know, I just think that there are certain professions black people don't care about or certain things that black people just aren't interested in. You don't see black people gathering in mass to climb Mount Everest. You don't see a black people running into line to, to bungee jump. And you don't see them trying to cuddle up with sharks. That's just not something we do. It's not because it's racist and people won't let us into the profession we aren't interested. And so the writer also went on to say, you know, I think there's been a negative connotation of sharks that's been pushed out there. Let me tell you, black people, uh, if there's a negative connotation, we are not like getting to know you, getting to know all about you. We don't care. <laughs> so it's just crazy that we are so caught up with race that now we're upset 
that it's only white men interested in learning the life of sharks. And, and it's a big deal. It's a story. And it's not a story. This is really uh, D.I.E. Die. They want us to die. <laughs> I w- they need a TV show called Bid Whist Week or Spades Week. And then all right. the commentators would be black. And I guess we would be happy. But I don't know any black people, and, and I'm sure they exist, who can talk about sharks expertly. I've always, I like swimming in a pool. Mm-hmm. I've never liked swimming in the ocean. I'm always afraid about what's at the bottom of the ocean. I want to wear flip-flops or something on my bottom of my feet. Mm-hmm. I don't like, I, I'm afraid of, you know, and I've been in the ocean. I've d- right. done the, what are the, little speed motorcycles or whatever you do on jet, jet skis or whatever I think they call you. Yeah, I've done all that, but I don't even like swimming in lakes. Want you, you know, it's, it's hard to clean our hair for one to wash our hair and I get in the ocean and that dirty lake or whatever. And I'll spend three days in the shower trying to get that crap out of my hair. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're complaining about nothing, but no surprise there. Uh, the other, uh, another topic you were interested in New York times, uh, sees uh, Brittany Griner as some kind of hero and an example of the greatness and strength and honor and courage and service of uh, black women. Uh, help me unpack this. Yeah, so this article is just a crock of crap, Jason. First of all, they referred to Brittany as one of the world's best basketball players. And I'm wondering, compared to who? Compared to me, yes. Compared to some of the women in the WNBA or even those not in WNBA, yes. But I could take a a man who never made it to the NBA that's a great basketball player that would still be better than Brittany Griner. And so this whole notion that she's one of the world's best ball players, no. If you want to say... Uh, compared to women, yes, but compared to a lot of men, she would not even compare at all. And so they also, in this New York Times article, uh, they're complaining about pay for WNBA players. And I just don't understand, number one, why is it so hard for them to grasp that we don't want to see a bunch of burly women uh, patting each other on the butt? They don't have the the they don't garner the attention that the NBA does. Not only that, why do you feel like you should be treated differently at the same time of saying that you want to be equal? So if you want to be equal, you have to understand that the WNBA just started, I think, in 1996. If you go back and look at the people that played in the NBA years ago, they didn't start out making millions. You all need to be able to work towards where you want to be. Nothing should just be handed to you. So you feel like you should be treated equal, but you don't want to do equal work. You don't want to put in the equal time that men have put in for decades to get to where they are now. So it just bothers me that we keep hearing all these women complain and saying, well, Brittany wouldn't have been in Russia if she was making what the men were making. She should have they should have started the league then in the 40s 
when NBA started. They have work to do. And and Jason, one of the, the last things of the article that really just got me so upset is Don Staley saying that one woman has the strength of 10 men. And that's just not true. Even if your last She said name, what? She said one what? Woman, one woman has the strength of 10 men. Oh, my God. And even if your last now. name is Van Dyke, that's just not true. <laughs> oh, I got to look this up. She's <laughs> one woman has the strength of 10, of 10 men. men. What was the, what was the title of this story again? W celebrate grinders. Mm. Yeah. Her strength oh, yeah, and the... struggle. Yeah. yeah and she was just right. talking about, how all the women had, had, they came together and they actually made a change by standing up and demanding that she be released and that people better take notice of how strong black women are. And it just makes me wonder, Jason, that do black women really feel so oppressed that they have to buy into this narrative that we're so strong. We don't need men. We need to be leaders. We need to be in charge and men just need to follow us. When we can look and see that it has not been good for the black community. Why are we buying into this? So I'm reading, I'm gonna read the paragraph before, but in the nearly 10 months she was in prison until her release on Thursday, Griner became a symbol of much more. The inequities in men's and women's sports, the complexity of the fight for social justice, and especially the power of the WNBA players and their supporters who steadily rallied for Griner's freedom. Quote from Don Staley, women, when we're advocating for something, when we want something to happen, We've got the strength of 10 men. I hope people are watching. <laughs> <sighs> they got the strength of 10 men. I got you. Well, mm. crazy. I, boy, will I get in trouble? Let me, I'm going to ask this as a question. I'm going to ask, I'm not, this isn't a statement, it's a question. Would I be wrong for thinking that? Brittany Griner in the fourth quarter of a WNBA game has the stench of 10 men? Would that be a bad question to ask? Could I get in trouble for that? I think you'd be pretty accurate. Uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what she meant. And maybe, and they just took her out of context. I've seen uh, reporters misquote when they're taking notes down. I bet you she meant in the fourth quarter of a WNBA game, or after a month in solitary confinement in Russia, Brittany Griner has the stench of 10 men. Maybe that's what she meant. I'll get in Maybe. trouble for that, but uh, <laughs> if I, that was a question, that was not a statement, it was a question. All right, Shamika, you wanna make it make sense. There's, I, I saw this Project Veritas video, and I need you or somebody to make this make sense for me. Let's play the video. 
I had like our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Meet Joe Bruno, Dean of Students at the prestigious Francis W. Parker Private School in Chicago, which happens to charge $40,000 per student. They're just like passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're like, how do you, how does this butt plug work? How do we do like, how does this work? That's a really like cool part of my job. Parents might be stunned to learn that Bruno's version of love and acceptance means handing out sex toys to underage students. So I've been the dean for four years. And we had a drag queen come in, um, pass out cookies and brownies and do photos. It's so amazing. And everybody's cool with that, like the clouds and the dildos. Nobody complains. No. I mean, if the parents found out, would they? No. It's queer sex. This is the drag queen that came in. What's her name? Uh, Alexis Bevels. Alexis Bevels. And just hung out in my classroom. And was there? Or hung out in my office. You have so much freedom and so much wiggle room. So much freedom, so much money. I mean, to do stuff. Trustees are okay with that too? Oh, yeah. They don't know. They would, it's like, we, I wouldn't even like run it by them. Like, why would I run it by them? They'd be like, oh my God, that's wonderful. Like yeah. How old were the kids at with the classroom? 14, 18. They're like, how do you, how does this work? How do we do, like, how does this work? Right. Um, so yeah, that's a really like cool part of my job is, I don't have to worry about stuff like that. This man needs his ass beat, but, mm -hmm. uh, Make it make sense. First of all, Jason, his nails are painted. So that's uh, the first sign that any parent should have noticed that his nails are painted. But I want to know what are parents actually teaching to their kids? And why do we feel like we have to now submit to children? Even if you feel like, okay, social media is out here. They're not going to be virgins till marriage. Do we not have any standards? I have one child under 18, who is still a virgin. All three of my kids, once she make it to 18, I will be able to say we required them to remain virgins at least until they were grown and could make their own decisions. I don't understand why parents aren't going into these schools and turning them inside out and upside down with these adults grooming their kids to even figure out whether they're bisexual, asexual, pansexual. What? Why are we allowing this to happen? Why are we not saying, hey, you're supposed to be te teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic. My child doesn't need to know what, uh, if she's heterosexual, bisexual, because she's no sexual. Stop teaching this to kids. How what are we doing as parents? What are we doing as adults that we have just decided, oh, well, they're probably going to see it on the internet anyway, so let's put it in school. Let's teach them about butt plugs. I am 47 years old. I've never used a butt plug, and any man that would ask me to do it, we got a problem. Houston, <laughs> we have a problem and it just bothers me that more parents are not aware of what's going on here in moore county uh we just had a situation where someone shot out power grids and they were 
thinking that it was because of a drag show that was in town. And so I was talking to another parent who said, you know, I don't understand the big deal if, you know, well, first of all, of course, it's wrong if you shot out the power grid and left tons of innocent people in the dark. But when they're saying, I don't understand what's wrong, it's just a drag show. Why can't they let adults be adults? These parents are not aware that they're bringing this into the schools. And it's not just adults being adults. They are grooming children. And what I know, Jason, is you know that I used to be a stripper. One thing I can say for sure, there were never kids in the strip club. So there is a difference when you talk about letting kids experience something that should only be for adults. It just bothers me that we're actually even letting this stuff ride. It's amazing. Shamika, it, it leads me to a question because I know you watch the show all the time. And, and so I'm throwing you a curveball here. <clears throat> but I watched that video of that guy and that teacher and it, it immediately takes me to like the, the Israelites that I had on the show on Wednesday and mm -hmm. like why they done moved out into the middle of nowhere and they just like, these people are crazy. I'm gonna go start my own thing <laughs> off in the middle of nowhere. And so I know I didn't tell you I was gonna ask you this, but, but I did wanna know, what did you think of the Israelite guys that we had on on Wednesday? There were some of the things that I definitely understood, like when they talked about, I can't remember which one it was, but when he talked about the way his wife kind of revered the pastor over him or just how they couldn't, you know, bring their wives uh, under submission and they didn't want to listen and how the church kind of runs um, the church. Some of those things I could definitely see. There are a lot of women that esteem the pastor well above their own husband, and they can be very disrespectful to the man while honoring the pastor, while wanting to be at the church every time the doors are open and wanting to serve him and wiping the sweat from his face, but won't even, you know, wash clothes at home. So there were certain things that I, I saw them talk about that I am familiar with when it comes to the church, being there all my life and being in different church settings, I've seen a lot of that. So I can understand some of their feelings of, we don't wanna be a part of what we experienced with the Christian church because some of it's pretty bad. Pretty good for me throwing your curveball. Thank you, have a great weekend. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit notifications, hit subscribe. I'm gonna start a fire next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Twitter has never been a free speech platform. 
it's always been a propaganda hub for Northern California values. Twitter launched in March of 2006, the same year, according to Pew Research, the percentage of Americans supporting same-sex marriage began an unrelenting rise from 35% to around 70% today. That's the power of Twitter. It's a mind control platform. Twitter shapes cultural norms and determines the thoughts and beliefs allowable in workplace settings. It does this through its relationship with corporate media outlets and popular culture influencers. A small percentage of Americans use Twitter, but 100% of media outlets and entertainment corporations use the app as their guide for narratives and norms. This provides Twitter outsized and unprecedented influence over media and culture. If you wanna work in the mainstream media or Hollywood, your Twitter feed and public proclamations must align with the values of Twitter employees who primarily take their cues from San Francisco's hyper-liberal hyper and gender-fluid environment. Thursday night, Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, released the second installment of the Twitter files through independent journalist Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss's reporting revealed Twitter's censorship and shadow banning of conservative influencers such as Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA and Dan Bongino, a prominent radio host. Conservatives have long known and complained about the social media outlet's manipulation of their reach and influence. The Twitter files confirm what we've always known. But I don't want us to miss the larger implications of Twitter's systematic censorship. This isn't about Charlie Kirk's follower count or how many retweets Dan Bangino gets. Twitter's censored not to harm individuals. It's censored to influence cultural norms. Twitter outlawed a biblical worldview on marriage. Any Twitter user opposed to same-sex marriage was forced to closet their beliefs to ensure growth. In order to avoid being labeled a homophobe and unfit for work and leadership, journalists, broadcasters, entertainers, athletes, and coaches all adopted pro-same-sex marriage stances or they avoided the subject altogether. This helped train the public to adopt the same position and empowered human resource departments throughout corporate America to demonize any employee who might object to Pride Month, Drag Queen Story Hour, or any aspect of the LGBTQ movement. By 2011, five years after the launch of Twitter, more Americans favored same-sex marriage than opposed it. Twitter is the strongest propaganda tool in the history of the planet. Twitter created the Black Lives Matter movement and the myth that black men face more violent danger from law enforcement than street gangs. Twitter is primarily responsible for the riots, anarchy, and violence in reaction to the death of St. George Floyd. Twitter convinced LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, Jesse Smollett, Bubba Wallace, and everyone in Hollywood to believe that there was a pandemic of police officers shooting unarmed black men. If any prominent Twitter feed cited data and facts proving that police actually were less prone to use deadly force on black men than white men, Twitter 
unleashed an avalanche of tweets labeling the user an unrepentant bigot or sellout. The smearing storm could cost a high-profile user his or her job and reputation. Most people chose silence or they simply co-signed the false narrative that law-abiding, compliant black men risked their lives during routine traffic stops. Twitter normalized the anecdote-driven worldview rather than a data and fact-driven worldview. Media outlets used a handful of anecdotes to paint all of law enforcement as violently hostile towards black men. The New York Times, Washington Post, and USA Today published an endless series of viral stories that fanned racial animus and justified rioting and looting. Again, Twitter controls the media because it is the media's source for narrative and information. The media then tells the public what Twitter thinks is interesting, relevant, and important. Twitter decided Sean King was important. King is a white man who has adopted a black identity and cast himself as a racial justice warrior, a modern day Martin Luther King. Sean King rose to importance promoting the Michael Brown, hands up, don't shoot, false narrative in Ferguson, Missouri. Twitter amplified King's voice and the voice of DeRay McKesson, a gay wannabe MLK who regularly met with Jack Dorsey and high-end Twitter executives. King and McKesson's greatest accomplishments were building Twitter followings. Those followings legitimized corporate media outlets using them as sources and persuaded celebrity black influencers to turn to King and McKesson for social justice guidance. Kaepernick, the NFL kneeler, fell under the spell of Sean King. So did Steph Curry and all the other social justice athletes. Who Twitter censored is likely not as important as who it amplified. For the media and Hollywood, job security, opportunity, and compensation are tied to social media following and reach. Jack Dorsey's Twitter dictated the career arc and opinions of many of America's influencers. Embracing the LGBTQ BLM alphabet mafia was required. Before Elon Musk, Twitter was a mind and emotion control psyop that reinforced Northern California's version of sexual hedonism and racial revolution. Can the, ad, can the platform ever be a force for good? Not when its employees must primarily reside in the San Francisco cesspool. That's my fire. I wanna buttress this fire. I'm not gonna <clears throat> go on forever about this because I, I like this. I, I, I took some time, put this together. Hope that you watch this more than once and really digest what I'm trying to say here. And because and, we talk on this show and I've been talking on this show and I've been writing for several years now about this alphabet mafia, this coalition between the LGBTQ and the BLM crowd. You toss in the feminist and you have an alphabet mafia that is imposing its value, its worldview on all of America. I wanna cite you an example from, I saw just today on social media that, that, will ex that shows you the agenda and who's really behind everything that we saw go on with Twitter since 
its launch in 2006 and certainly under the direction of Jack Dorsey and the Prague Aural and what, whatever this uh, Vaija Gotti, the woman that was running uh, Twitter, it's been a propaganda tool for the alphabet mafia. That has been its agenda. People, people have sat around and wondered, how did America's opinion on same-sex marriage change on a dime? How did it happen so quickly? We don't see public sentiment change that rapidly. We hadn't seen that before in human history. It was Twitter. It's the social media apps. They're in control of our minds. They're, they set the agenda for our cultural norms, what we think is acceptable. And then when you tie those cultural norms and, and you uh, impose them in a workplace environment where unless you adopt these values and these opinions, you're disqualified from leadership in corporate America. You adopt these values, your leadership, you can elevate within a corporate. More money, money's tied to all of this. Your, your viability inside a corporate structure is tied to adopting these alphabet mafia agendas, points of views, and perspectives. Twitter does that. When executives live in fear of being roasted over Twitter, that's how Twitter controls things. When people can't get acting jobs unless their opinions fit the Twitter narrative, when people can't have broadcasting jobs unless their point of view fits the Twitter narrative. This is all alphabet mafia driven. Everybody knows it. No one wants to talk about it. I want to cite this one example from today. Elton John announced over Twitter that he's leaving the platform. All my life, I've tried to use music to bring people together. Yet it saddens me to see how misinformation is now being used to divide our world. I've decided to no longer use Twitter given their recent change in policy, which will allow misinformation to flourish unchecked. This is Elton John, a rock singer and a good one. What does he know about misinformation? What is he talking about? Seriously, what is he talking about? Is he just throwing out the word misinformation to disguise his real agenda? Because I've been saying, this isn't brand new for me. Anybody that's followed me has been watching me say this over social media, in writing, on television, anywhere I can. Twitter has been home for the promotion of LGBTQ values. Elton John doesn't have the balls, the honesty, the integrity to say, hey, Twitter's no longer gonna be the propaganda hub for LGBTQ values. I'm out of here, I'm leaving. That's what he's upset about. I don't have a problem with him being upset about it. He's gay. Just say it. Just admit it. This has been our home. This has been our tool to legitimize and normalize our lifestyle. Say it with your chest out. 
Don't sit, oh my God, they're the home for misinformation. Where am I gonna get my COVID information from that I can trust? I can't get it from Twitter. This is the home for misinformation. They're gonna deny election results on Twitter. Oh my God, this has to stop. That's all a gimmick. Elton John, stick your chest out and say what you really mean and what you're really upset about. Twitter isn't going to normalize and impose my lifestyle on the rest of America and I'm mad as hell about it. Say that. I would respect that. I would respect you for saying that. Don't hide behind misinformation. All these people that you see running from Twitter and making these big public pronouncements, what they're really upset about is that the gayest communication tool in the history of the world has now been taken over by Elon Musk and Twitter's not gonna be nearly as gay as it has been. And they're mad about it. I'm not ashamed that I'm happy Elon Musk has taken Twitter away from the Alphabet Mafia. I'm gonna say it with my chest out. I'm glad. And all these other ballless men that have been shamed into silence or out of fear or I won't get a job that can't say, whew, this Twitter thing was way too feminine for me. And I'm glad that men and honesty and free speech now have a chance, heterosexual men now have a chance to be heard over this very important social media app. I'm happy about it. If that makes me homophobic, I will wear that label with honor. I'm not homophobic. I just am pro the Bible and a biblical worldview. I'm pro things that actually lead to order and proper development of children. This app has benefited, assisted the drag queens that want to come into, little, into schools and sexualize little children. Twitter has helped normalize that and make it commonplace. Elton John knows it, you should know it, everybody should know it. I hope that the Twitter files is honest enough to cover that. All right, we'll play tomorrow, and we'll see you next week. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life, like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving all the seed when we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want.